0: This is Prince Remembered, a podcast from 89.3 The Current. Today, a conversation with the tech writer, entrepreneur, and social media power user Anil Dash about Prince's secret life as a computer nerd. Hey, this is Andrea Swenson, and I am here now with Anil Dash. So excited he's in town. He agreed to stop by and chat. Hey, Anil.
1: Hello. I'm so glad to be here.
0: So I am trying to think of the right way to introduce you because I know you through Twitter. We've mm-hmm. developed a Twitter friendship and sure. you are a huge Prince fan. That is not what you do for a living. But no, you...
1: not yet. I wish it were. But
0: uh... <laughs> but you've developed this real uh, love of Prince that is so palpable. Mm. And I think of you almost like a, a historian of Prince's kind of relationship to technology and to his fans. How would you describe Your relationship to Prince and his music. You
1: know, I mean, well, everybody has that story. If you're my age of being whatever it was, a a kid and seeing, you know, these songs come out and and change your life. I mean, I definitely remember hearing um, the muffled sounds of controversy through the door to my sister's room when I was a kid and sort of, oh, that's forbidden. I wonder why,
0: Uh. Um,
1: you know, and, and that was definitely there. And then, and then like, you know, everybody who grew up in the 80s, like here's the music, it's omnipresent and it's amazing. And, you know, the, the back then the sort of, um, the thrill of going and digging through the crates to find, you know, was there one of these, uh, 12 inch singles that was still in print and doing that. Um, and then the interesting thing for me, right. Sort of at the age that I am is, uh, I, you know, came out, um, of high school and was really into technology. I was, uh, you know, making like little now what we would call apps and, and right, you know, the web came out right as I, um, um, Got out of high school and into college, and was like, I didn't. I actually ended up dropping out of college because I just love the internet so much. And the first thing I found was the sort of Prince community online because he had done, well, he'd changed his name and he'd done the interactive CD ROM. Right. And a lot of fans, I think, were like, I got to go upgrade my computer to be able to run this thing. Cause like it was not a, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, download this off the App Store and you're off and running. It was like, this is a process. And literally, I remember, um, there was a, um, a news group, which was the sort of discussion forums on the, on the internet before the World Wide Web even was existing. And and people being like, I have to install a sound card in my computer so that I can play, for instance, interactive CD-ROM and and what the <laughs> hell do we call the guy now? And, you know, it was a great... And so the, this sort of community is forming together and really forged in this crucible of understanding technology. Um, a lot of people don't know that, you know, around this time... So the um, I think the same month that he changed his name in June of 93... Uh, the Prince News Group was formed, huh. and these discussions were going on. There were um, uh, internet services for like chat and things back then. Prodigy was one of them. It was one of the first places. There was like a weekly Prince fan chat. As Prodigy faded, and AOL took over, it moved to AOL. And there would be um, the room was called Paisley Park, and there would be a a you know a Prince fan chat. It started on Monday nights, um, but it started going longer and longer as more people joined. And so we like, oh, it will be a little easier doing the weekends. So we moved it to Sunday nights. And after we had been doing it it like a couple of years, so 94, 95, at that point, these other mysterious uh, handles would start to show up in the chat room. Ah. Um, and so, you know, the Emancipation album didn't come out until 96, uh, but the names on the, the the AOL accounts were like, and these are like Twitter handles, so they were short, were like Bed ice cream, right? And there's the song on Emancipation, In This Bed I cream. So it was mm-hmm. like this sort of, you know, tip-off of this thing that's coming on, and A couple other handles were like NPG2000 and uh, one was Henna2000 and Henna was um, my taste dog at the time and and you know and people would sort of piece it together like isn't that her dog's name you know it was this sort of like thing and it was like who are these people and um and then the the moment that I think it clicked for a lot of us and there was a couple dozen fans that would be there every week and talk about you know sure literally at that point like how do you say the symbol and what does it mean and is he ever going to put a record out again I mean there were these really like what is going on with this guy? Yeah, that was a
0: confusing time in his career. Yeah,
1: and keep in mind, this is only two years after he'd had huge hits with, like, Diamonds and Pearls and the Symbol album. So, like, he was a very mainstream act. It wasn't, like, he hadn't really faded that much. And right before that, he'd had uh, Most Beautiful Girl, which was, like, one of his biggest hits that he ever had. And so he was seen as a very current artist, and never more inexplicable, right? Like, right after the symbol uh, name change, but before it ever been explained, mm-hmm. before, you know, he had sort of given any context to it at all. And people uh, genuinely thought he was, like, disturbed. Like, he was off, you know? Right. And so the fans are like, what happened? This guy 10 years ago is the biggest thing in the world. What's going on? So there's a lot of this, like, really, what felt very fraught. And, you know, too, part of it, too, is, like, I was, like, 19, so, like, everything really matters, you know, yeah. about your favorite yeah. musician. And, um... So these folks from Paisley Park that we knew were inside somehow start coming in and talking to the chat room, and um, and the moment that to me jumps out would have been in January of ninety five. Um, they this I don't even remember which of the handles it was. It was just sort of casually, it's like, yeah, Prince is working on this medley of all his songs because he's going to retire Prince at the American Music Awards, and we're like, what do you mean? And they're like, Prince is dead, and you know it was very it was like confusing. Like he yeah. hadn't used this sort of rhetoric or whatever, and you know, lo and behold, less than two weeks later, he does this, I thought, really great American Music Awards performance where uh, they played what would become the Purple Medley single. They played like a three or four minute sort of medley of all of his um, greatest hits under the name Prince. And then literally or like, you know, his name changed to a simple like they did this whole voiceover. And he did a medley of songs that would be uh, on the gold experience later. OK. Um, But it was exactly as this, you know, mysterious AOL account had laid out. And there was no way it was like. This is, there was no leaks. It was not in the press and the media. None of us were connected to, like, newspapers. Like, these days, if it happened on social media, it would have been in the newspaper the next day and, right. you know, vetted or verified or confirmed or denied or whatever. But we were like, oh, my gosh, this person's there. Like, they know. They called it. and um, And it was just... Stunning, and you just, you know, and it was funny too, because I think a lot of us were like fairly young, and you wanted to like kind of poke the person next to you and be like, "I, I think this is Prince," like I think you know, <laughs> and you know, people are like, "You've lost your mind too," you know, like it was a really like kind of crazy moment, and um, and that to me, I think for, and I still, it's funny because there's people there who I was in those chats with, twenty some years ago, who I'm still friends with. Wow and was connected to some of them are like senior at Google are at like have gone on to these amazing careers because I mean you know we we're all like teenagers or early 20s and and then you'd get up and you'd grow up and you get married and have kids and all that stuff and have a career <laughs> and um and to sort of reconnect in the, the recent years like on Facebook and Twitter as you do with like your old like classmates or whatever um was really interesting and so and then as that reconnection happened in the last couple of years I was like do you remember this? Like a little bit, like, so did I half remember this wrong? Like, am I Were we in the chat
0: room with Prince? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, um, and I'd saved transcripts from a couple of the conversations. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, after he passed, you know, I, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, I think I had like a, you know, I am conversation with Prince in 1996. And, you know, my wife knows me like, you know, for 15 years now. So she's like, okay you know like she wasn't like get you know go get help she was like okay this is this is fine. and um i had sent a note of uh condolence to maite um we had just connected online because she, mm-hmm. she was a fan or whatever um and then just as a sort of follow-on i uh i was like by the way you know so a lot of us fans have been wondering for 20 years now was this you know was this really you was this you know people and she's like oh yeah and it's like well what about this other name and she's like Oh, that was Prince. <laughs> so, which Just, one was him? You know, well, and it was the way he used the name. So, I, I'm trying to remember. I think she was like, it depended on what times. Oh. Like, the handles were used by different people. And he, I mean, actually, this is something he did many times over the years is this like, we're this broad collective and we're from this voice that is Paisley Park or the NPG or whatever. And it's like, listen, it's not like, you know, it's over there, that person in the corner is the one writing. And I was like, we know who's going to approve everything before it goes out. Um, and then. The other sort of interesting parallel to this is that he had, you know, whatever, 15 or so websites over the years that he right. would sort of started up and abandoned after his attention wandered. And um, me being a geek, my, you know, my background is I work in social media and had sort of helped create a lot of early social um, networking, social media tools. And so I knew um, the tech folks because I'm in tech. And so I would reach out to the the web folks, um, people like Sam Jennings who did a lot of websites over like the early to mid two thousands for Prince, um, uh, Scott Addison Clay who did the Lotus Flower site and and the sort of things around that era, um, and even earlier people. And um, you know, I just kept in touch with them because we were internet nerds, yeah, and also of course Prince fans and. Um, You know, I'd reach out to them and be like, oh, yeah, you know, he was spending a lot of time. And one of the things I think people don't really realize is, like, a lot of the folks who were engineers and studio staff at Paisley in the mid-'90s went on to form Bitstream. And Bitstream was one of the first Internet service providers in in the Twin Cities and later for all of Minnesota and became very sort of important early, like, you know, web access and and Internet hosting service. yeah. And, you know, uh, like Michael Koppelman and and uh, just a bunch of people actually that were over there were, you know, in a real way pioneers of the like, kind of Twin Cities internet scene too. Crazy. And and so and that so both my worlds intersected. And it was like there was nothing that could have been more um, you know, just compelling to me as like the two things that I was like really obsessed with. Yeah. Was like the internet and prints and like, here's both, you know? And um, and that's part of why it was so well done. Like the re- like the first website he did in 96, com, was really good. He got agency.com to build it, which was like at the time, like the hot studio that was doing those sorts of things. Hmm. But it was still very Prince-like in that he would kind of just disappear things from the site sometimes. And so I started archiving it because I realized he, you know, it's funny for as meticulous as he was about how like he would present himself or his music, he was also very haphazard, like, you know, the, over time, I kept thinking, like, people was like, his B-sides are so good. I was like, it's also just really bad catalog management <laughs> to have, like, some of the best stuff you've ever recorded on this song that you can't buy for any price anywhere. Right. You know, until, the, like, the Hits Collection came out, at least we had some of them. But, like, I treasured those 12-inch records because it's like, some of those still have never been released in any format that you can buy. Right. Um, But that also knit the community together because it was like, oh, you've got this? Well, I've got that. Let's trade. And... You know, back in the 80s and 90s when I started collecting, I remember literally sending a self-addressed stamped envelope to, like, some guy in Sweden and be like, <laughs> I hope you'll send me back a VHS tape and I hope it works on American VCRs. And, like, you know, three months later, lo and behold, something would show up. I actually found in doing the research recently for some of the pieces I've been writing, this note from guys like, oh, I have these tapes, these promo tapes that were only distributed at one VH1 event with some remixes of, of you know, a song. And... Um, and it had the guy's, like, AOL handle. And then, you know, so we all knew each other sort from of these, like, you know, not real names, these pseudonyms. And then it had his real name for the postal address for him to send it. Um, and it's Stephen Hill, who's now at BET.
0: Uh, and is the guy putting
1: together the the BET Prince tribute that okay. they're doing, you know. Wow. Because he stayed a fan. He got to interview Prince background musicology or something. And, like, he was in the community then. And, like, I was like, I know that guy's, you know, AOL handle from 20 years ago. So people, like... Stayed with it and yeah. stayed engaged with it. And I, I just um, – I always found that extraordinary. And so I started archiving it because I knew he was – I think he saw it as sort of like, you know, the – back in the day in the record stores, they would have the flats, those cardboard rectangles, like the size of an album cover. They would use right. to promote it and they put them up all over the record store. And then at the end, you know, you worked at a record store and you be like, okay, I'm going to go recycle these or throw them away. Like, who cares? Right. And I think he saw the websites a little bit like that. It's like, it's going to promote this album and then it's going to go away. Hmm. And as fans, it was like, no, this is like, the stuff you're writing is incredible. And on that very first website, thedawn.com, one of the first things he posted, it, clearly the site had been tied to um, all the things going on in 1996. He got married in February. Um, the last kind of, you know, significantly promoted Warner's albums like Chaos and Disorder came out, and then Emancipation came out in October in the fall, and was supposed to be obviously tied to you know, the birth of his child and this, you know, freedom and all these things. And he... Started setting all that up um, in advance of the wedding. The Dawn.com was initially promoted as, like, you know, it was going to give the details of his wedding oh, that's to Maite. Right. Yeah. That was, like, the teaser graphic. So we're like, wow. I mean, because just the idea of Prince being married, period, was, like, that guy? Really? <laughs> you know? It was, like, stunning. It was un- unfathomable. I mean, we all loved day, but it was like, really? You yeah. Know? And um, and they had this – The one of the very first things they did was, like, they – well, actually, they had their honeymoon in in Hawaii, and they did, of course, concerts there, because why wouldn't you do <laughs> giant concerts in Honolulu on your honeymoon? <laughs> and, like, they started promoting that, and they put up the program for the wedding. And it was, like, you know, this kind of beautiful romanticized story of of Prince of... I- well, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince of Maiti meeting each other and what their uh, relationship was about. and And it was a really... It was very sweet, and it was also, like, stunningly personal. It was, like, this view into his life. Hmm. And then... Being a geek, we're like, well, what else is on this site? So we started poking around, and in those days, if you would just sort of type in the address of a website and leave the web page off, it would just show you like, here's the other files that are on this part right. of this web server, and we just started finding stuff. I mean, there was tons of stuff, um, and uh, one of them was this letter called a letter from the artist, and it was uh, it was stunning. It was. In plain English, not even – like, he wasn't using, like, a picture of an eye for the word Mm I. Like, he spelled out the word for, like, for the first time since, like, you know, before controversy. Like, it was incredible. And he wrote – he reproduced the um, press release he'd put out in, like, late 95 about wanting to sever his contract with Warner Brothers, which had gotten some pickup then. And we – you know, in those days we were still reading, like, a print magazine to get that news. Yeah. And then he wrote – A first-person letter from Prince about why he changed his name, what his issue was with the record industry. He said, and, you know, it was so rare for him to make a public statement not in music that was vulnerable. Right. And he's like, you know, I was a young kid of 17 when I agreed to this recording contract and I made mistakes. Mm. And uh, still, it almost takes my breath away because... You never heard something like that from him publicly. And it's like he could be extremely vulnerable in music, but that was almost a different character.
0: Do you think he wanted that to be found? I mean, he's so in control.
1: You know, and it's funny. So what happened was we found it. And um that was actually what I had the one and only sort of AOL chat conversation I had with him about was I said, you know, we found the letter. And it's like I just I beg you to put I literally I said, I beg you to put it out. Mm. It's it's, you know the world needs to hear this and and i mean i still feel that way and uh you know and he just said in time wow. <laughs> you know like a very like you know <laughs> he, he kept he kept up the mystique even in chat you know and i talked to a lot of other people who had much more substantive conversations with him and they're like you know prince is prince <laughs> and uh um and and then a couple weeks later they put out like this edited version of it that was like from the npg the dawn staff you know, and it was like we feel and I was like, who's we? Ain't nobody else over there's got a, like a contract with Warner Brothers. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and and so and it was sort of, you know, uh, kind of, you know, emotionally gutted like they'd sort of remove the like the really compelling parts. But I'd saved the old version. And um, actually, a guy that I recently reconnected with had had this fan site. And I was like, let me send you this copy. And he would just sort of put it up on his site. And um, and similar things like archiving those that um, the wedding program, the images from that. Yeah. Um, there were other things I wish I'd saved. You know, at the time we didn't think he was going to take the website down. Right. So we just saved stuff that we thought was like particularly interesting. There was a um, I remember a uh, top ten albums like the must listen albums. Um, and it was and I was like it's just like of 1996. It was like just of all time. So he had like you know. <laughs> Um he had a Graham Central Station album. He had Bjork's Post, which had Really I'd never heard him before or since mentioned Bjork.
0: Fascinating.
1: And and I loved her. And I just was like, Oh my gosh, does this mean you know he's gonna like play a song of hers or something? I never heard it again. I didn't know if it was like maybe that was like my taste pick or you know <laughs> and the and he of course, you know, again being Prince, like listed the as yet unreleased emancipation as one of the top albums of the year, <laughs> you know. And it was like sure, okay. Um and, and all that kind of stuff was like, I mean, he was basically blogging. Like, as was when yeah. we sort of recognize it today. Like, he was, like, sharing these little things he found and links to what he found was interesting. Um, there was another piece, this one I did save, which was, um, so they had each of the albums up and they would have, like, the liner notes and the credits, sometimes more complete than the credits that were on the actual albums, which huh. was interesting. And then um, they had the hits, the B-sides, you know, the, the box set. But in lieu of Alan Leeds's liner notes, they had, what you could tell from reading, were Prince's notes to Alan about what to include in the liner notes.
0: I think you just posted this on I your did. website, I right? I did. Yeah. I
1: put it up on Medium because I was just like, I think people need to see this. Like, yeah. this was his own words, and 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 Alan actually confirmed. He's like, yeah, this is the notes that I was sending. He's like, I never knew it was on the internet. Wow. But like, this is what he said, and and to to again see in first person prince telling us what he wanted us to know about the biggest songs he ever had the biggest hits he ever had um uh jill jones actually comes up multiple times in the notes and he talks about you know she was fearless and a cliff diver vocally and she would just do whatever and that was why she was so great on 1999 on these other songs and uh she saw the um the notes when i posted them and and she was just like you know i can't believe he said that about me and that and i mean obviously she had a you know, very long lasting relationship with him and knew him very, very well. But um, it's different to say, oh, well, this was going to go on the record for, you know, this archive. And and so some of those materials I had held on to for 20 plus years. Mm. And I just felt after he passed, like that the thing that casual fans never saw was the amount of thought, the amount of self-awareness, the when he put aside the artifice of you know, being this magical, mysterious elf that generates, you know, funky, sexy music over here. Right. And was, like, just a guy who was um, obviously extremely passionate about his music and his art but had this broader mission about, like, what the industry was going to be and how he was going to be respected as an artist and said it in plain English
0: sometimes
1: and said it straight to us and the fans and told us in direct conversations with fans. And that two-way conversation with fans continued through... The whole second half of his career, for the last twenty years, of his and
0: on to Twitter. Yeah, and on to Twitter.
1: I mean, I think that was the thing that 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 um, you know, I, I on the day he passed, I had a sort of series of tweets eulogizing him, which I think a lot of us did. And in one of them, I said, you know, I never got a chance to really meet him, but you know, he had direct messaged me on Twitter a couple of times and we chatted, or whatever. And you know, like anybody that has a lot of followers on Twitter. There's a bunch of folks that sort of hate me and like will look for an excuse to criticize. Him. And they were like, "You've lost your mind! Like that is impossible." And I'm like, the reason I mentioned it is not because I thought it was that special. It's because it was really common, right? And people didn't realize. Like, um, my late friend Erica Kennedy was a writer. Actually, well, a story about her, um, got circulated a bit in the fan community after uh, Prince passed, which I loved, which I hadn't even known about from Erica. Which was, she was a writer, uh, and she, um, when in I believe in Style magazine, interviewed Prince. She got to do the interview, but she was a freelancer, a stringer, and she was like, why? Why am I being brought in for this? Like, why isn't the editor doing it? And they said, well, we, uh, you know, we agreed to do the interview and Prince said he wanted a, a black woman to do the interview and we don't have any black women on the masthead. Right. And you're in the loop and we'd like you to do it, which, um, you know, essentially kickstarted her career.
0: That's it, amazing. It changed her
1: life. Like it, it opened a door for her that had not been open at a major magazine and it's extraordinary. And then the craziest part, and she told me this at the time, like shortly after, is was like Prince kept chatting with her on AOL, And I think he was, you know, single at the time. And, uh, you know, I think that was probably a factor too. Erica was beautiful. Um, and it's just like, you know, this sort of normal flirty, you know, here's what's going on. And, and also like here's, the, you know, the music I'm working on. <laughs> um, and very human. And like there are a lot of stories like that. And oh, I yeah. mean, even the guys at Paisley Park you know, that we're, like, doing a lot of his digital stuff, we're saying, like, you know, yeah, like, he was reluctant to get IOL at first, but, like, once we told him, like, you know, there's ladies there, you know, it's like a club, he was, like, kind of into it. And they were, like, he stayed a fan long after it was cool, too. Like, he was really, (laughs) like, all about the AIM chat. You know, and I think, like, that connection was so unfiltered but also let him preserve what he wanted to share versus not in the way that we all manicure our presence on social media we all sort of like our instagram is all delicious food and big smiles mm-hmm. and none of the you know the things we don't want to share um and i think that was the perfect balance for him and what people you know like people who sort of only know the you know the big hits or weren't like kind of obsessed like like me and a lot of my friends didn't get that like you know, the last album covers for, for Hit and Run and, and 1 and 2, and, and even on the last tour, we had this sort of, like, uh, it's still his uh, avatar on his Twitter account, these these great illustrations. Yeah. Um, and I'm forgetting the guy's name. It'll, it'll come to me in a bit. But um there's a fan who did these illustrations, and it got circulated in the fan community. And then Prince reached out and licensed the artwork, you know. And that was not, he did that a lot.
0: That happened to me.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I right? did a little sketch of him at the Dakota. Yeah. And And that was kind of the beginning of my relationship with him.
1: And there were so many, you know, or somebody takes a photo and he wants to use it, Mm -hmm. and he would reach out, and it was a two-way creation. And and the one that, uh, oh gosh, it gets me to even just think about it now. The one that got me was the night after his last show in Atlanta. A fan had tweeted at him her review of the show, and it was, you know, she's like, "I'm still in the cloud, you know, I'm floating over this." And uh, and the end of her, uh, you know, little kind of tweet length review was, "I am transformed." Mm. and you know as he was wont to do he would sort of quote tweet people in a way that was not at all how twitter's retweeting is supposed to work <laughs> right. you know you'd like excerpt things he did it to me a number of times and i was just like okay you can do <laughs> that that's fine but he split her her quote into two tweets and the one on its own said i am transformed yeah and so many people retweeted that after he passed as you know sort of a eulogy to him and i thought that the words people remembered him by were him Amplifying the words of a fan Mm. in response to his art, I think, exemplified what his use of these technologies to connect really was about. That it was very mutual and very two-way and not the mystique and not a manufactured pop star persona, but somebody who really genuinely connected with hundreds of people all over the world over decades of time. Yeah. And that we all loved and respected him enough to also keep that confidence you know, to sort of say, that's fine, that's for us, and I don't need to sort of shout it out to the world. And he, of course, preserved that by, you know, deleting the tweets and, and, and those kinds of things. And and I don't think people thought of him. And he did it all the time. Like, I remember last, I maybe mean, it was October or so, he did a, like, who's your favorite drummer, you know? And people were like, you, know, you and, you know, Shilly, and, you know, whatever <laughs> their answers are. And um, being a nerd, I sent him a picture of the Lynn LM1 drum machine, because, like, that's the drum machine he used for all his, you know, signature songs, and I just thought it was funny. And he took the picture and he retweeted it and he just said, me too, you know, like number two. And I was just like, that just, like, it made my day. Like, it still makes me so happy to think about it. And I mean, I, I hope we're able, you know, he would delete the tweets always right after he put them up. Right. And, and I'm, I being a geek and knowing folks at Twitter, I'm hoping we can get a collection of some of them. I started archiving them the end of last year, but it was really only the last maybe four months of his life. Mm. But um, there was so much there and so human aside uh that, you know, obviously, you know, folks will document and record all of the music. I you know, I hope the estate is resolved in a way that, that lets all of the, you know, the vault be released in a in a thoughtful and respectful way. And I don't doubt that it will happen because everybody in the world wants to hear those dozens of albums that are, you know, oh, still yeah. in there. And um and so like the the things we think of as the creative work will be there. But that more human side of just how personal he was, like, you know, no disrespect to Madonna or Michael Jackson. I love them. But, like, they were not on the fan forums and and recognizing names. I mean, um, Maya, who hosted the last uh, – she had been a photographer for him, shot the fo- cover photo for oh, yeah. um, Artificial Age and then hosted that Yahoo web chat, which mm-hmm. was like – she didn't do a great job, but she had a really tough gig to do. <laughs> it's a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was um, – I'm very empathetic to her. I mean, I think Prince would throw people in the deep end a lot yeah. that stuff, and, and she was there. You know, she said that um, she would uh, help him with, like, video streaming, um, these live streams of rehearsals at Paisley that he would do, you know. And, like, I remember literally being like, I have a kid. I shouldn't be up at 2 in the night watching this web stream, but I'm going to watch this because it's cool. And she said he recognized the names of fans that were chatting in the chat room uh, during those video streams. Mm. Like, he would look over at the computer while they were playing and know the people. Wow. And there is nobody... Nobody who was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who sold 100 million records, who has toured the world, who is a, you know, a global icon, who casually knew the names of the people and had real conversations with them over a course of decades. There yeah. was nobody else who did that. There's nobody who was that far ahead of their time to say, this is what this medium is for and that this is what I can rely on when I don't have a record label anymore and when I don't have an infrastructure and support anymore, they will stand by me. And I think that, um, you know, the only way you could break the back of a century of black artists being exploited is with the ultimate confidence to say they're going to be there for me. The fans are going to be there for me. And I think he had that much faith in it and that much foresight in it, and that is, like to me, as inspiring, as meaningful as all the music that's been the soundtrack to my life.
0: It's beautiful. I have two short stories to tell you that I feel like you'll appreciate. So one of the times that I was at Paisley Park, um, he invited a bunch of press there, Mm. like basically every uh, publication here in town. And he called us all back to his studio. And I'd been back there before, but this was the first time that there was a door open on the way to the studio. Mm. So I'm walking down the hall and I just look to my left and it's this enormous room with two desks equally spaced in the middle, and two men at computers and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. I was like, is that where he
1: tweets? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just looks so the f- stark.
1: The tweet factory, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, I picture them in, in like, the, those, like, clean room bunny suits with, like, the yeah. white, you know, like, they're just like, don't, di- yeah, everything is disinfected. Don't touch. This is where the tweets happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then another time, uh, the time when I, I really got to speak with him one-on-one extensively, Uh, he had this musician that he had flown up from Australia to come hang out. Mm. Uh, And this young kid, he was like 19, Mm -hmm. and he and I were talking, and he uh, he was talking about how in the mornings, he was staying at Paisley Park, and in the mornings they would get up and go on Twitter together. yeah, And just sit at the computer, and Prince would tweet out links to his... SoundCloud or YouTube yeah. or something, yeah. and then just read the responses. Yeah, and that was like a big part of there are so many the creative process. I
1: and I know at the end, um, Trevor Guy would help maintain mm-hmm. some of the you know the Twitter accounts and stuff. And so, like, there were other people maintaining the account. But what what you know what I would say like he would tweet stuff like I um he'd put up For Yourself," you know. When it, I think one of his last really great songs, I loved that yeah. song. And um and there's a vocal part at the end. I was like, that's not you. Who is that? You know, like I just and I would sort of. Try to tweet at him, like, this is just a person that I know on the internet. Um, even though, obviously, you know, there's this, you know, exalted place that he held. Um, and I got a direct message from him. And it was like, oh, you know, Goucher's on the bass. It was the whole credits, you know? And it was like, here's who, you know, here's who played the keys and here's who's doing, the you know, the vocals. And I was just like, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> I, I was like, what, what just happened? And I don't know. And that could have been Trevor, you know, whatever, but like... Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. You know, it was at all caps. Like, he had a super idiosyncratic way of tweeting. You know, there was the, like, there were a couple forms. There was, like, one big capital word and then a link and then another big capital word. And it would be like, okay, that's not a way that people tweet links, but that's <laughs> right. one thing. And there would be the retweets where he would copy and paste, some, including somebody's name. And I was like, right. why is he doing that? <laughs> and late, really, I think maybe in the late 2015, early 2016, he had this Instagram where, I mean, it was still, like, like he had... There was this parts where I was like this is still a middle-aged dude, you know, in some ways like it's like a normal Midwestern middle-aged dude cuz he had like the visualizations of the Windows media player music player still on and yep. I was like who in 2015 is still rocking the Windows media player like who's doing that and has like those crazy like little like geometric patterns going <laughs> and his Instagram he's like trying to you know he's playing presumably some song that was you know recorded an hour earlier Uh, a brand-new song, but he's, like, showing his his Windows desktop Mm -hmm. on this, like, Dell PC. And I was like, this is the least cool thing I've ever seen Prince do in my life because, like, his desktop is just covered in icons. Right. But it's Prince, so every icon is a link to himself. Like, it's, like, a photo of me, another photo of me, a link to my Twitter account, a link to my other Twitter account. Like, it was just this, like, it was the most, like, simultaneously awesome and, like, also, like, Oh, uh, man, like, you you probably get the little, like, there's, like, like a little nag screen in the bottom, like, update your Norton antivirus, you know? Like, <laughs> it was a very human, amazing vision of, like, you know, Prince at Paisley Park in the middle of the night, like, mm-hmm. saying, like, here's my Windows desktop, by the way, listen to the song I just recorded. And I loved that. That was, like, such a um, – it was, like, a revelation to me because it was, like, he didn't – like, he wasn't trying to preserve his coolness. I, I did this talk um, – Actually, the reason I came to town was to do this talk at the I.O. Festival. It's like an arts and design festival. And, and they, they talk a lot about sort of like the cultural impacts of, of like technology that we create. And I opened the talk because I like I wanted to sort of explain this idea of Prince is a geek. And I opened the talk with a clip from Graffiti Bridge. And it's the opening credits. So like, this is the thing. It's like I was like trying to set it up. And I'm like, I can't offer that much setup because it's literally in the first two minutes of the movie. Mm. And um, Graffiti Bridge, not among his stronger film <laughs> Uh, efforts. I, I, you know, I can watch it, but I don't, I wouldn't recommend it to non fans. And there's the, you know, the one story is like Morris Day and the Timer trying to take over all the clubs in town. And then the, the other thing is like, you know, Prince sort of reckoning with his muse. And, and so the, the scene is Prince is, uh, in bed with a beautiful woman, Jill Jones, and his muse strikes and he hops out of bed, right? And, cause like he hears his an angel. And, uh, what happens is Prince gets out of bed with Jill Jones, who was beautiful, and he's like supposed to be naked, like he wraps a sheet around himself, and he sits down at and keep in mind this is a movie he wrote, directed, performed, right. did everything himself. This is a character where he wrote himself. He sits down at a Mac 2 SE computer that's in his bedroom, and starts clicking around this like eight inch black and white screen with a giant trackball, like the nerdiest input <laughs> device that's ever been created. It looks like. I mean, he looks like, like a like a NASA engineer. I mean, it's the least cool thing. And he still has, like, the full Prince hair, like like circa 1990, like the big long mane and the whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and Jill Jones comes up and it's kind of like, yeah, I think I'm going to go dance at Morris's Club. Like, it's this, like, you know, very Prince thing going on in the background. And his song is playing and he's, like, you know, theoretically composing, can't stop this feeling I got on this old Macintosh. And it's simultaneously, and, then, like, he's got a keyboard plugged into the Mac and all this stuff. Um, like a music keyboard, not a uh, typing keyboard, and it's this like, um, awesome and really nerdy and very cool. And the crazy thing about it is, to me, like keep in mind this is filmed in '89. Yeah. So like, there are still Revenge of the Nerds sequels being made at that point. Do you <laughs> know what I mean like computers were not cool? Right. Bill Gates was not cool. There was not. You know, like Steve Jobs was not back at Apple. This was not a moment when you were like just me hanging out on my Mac, clicking around on my trackball. Like that was not a thing. And it's the front of the movie. Like there's a naked woman in bed and he hops out to get on the computer. And I just like and I hadn't I don't watch Graffiti Bridge a lot. So I hadn't revisited it until I was like, God, I know there's a computer in that movie somewhere. I had not conceived of it being the opening of the film.
0: That's amazing.
1: And and it just on rewatching was like An epiphany because I was like, he did not see it as separate from his life. He did not see it as different than picking up his guitar. He did not see it as different than sitting down at a piano. Mm -hmm. You know, he did not see it as more off-putting to a beautiful woman to sit down at at the computer than to pick up his guitar. Like, it was all of a piece. Right. And the closing credits to Graffiti Bridge is him at the same Mac. (laughs) Like, the end of the story after, like, the bad guys are defeated and Prince wins and love triumphs. He's like, let me click around this Mac and look at some other songs I wrote. And I just am like, you know, I mean, there's a million times during the production of Graffiti Bridge, somebody should have sort of pulled him aside and been like, hey, boss, I, we got to have a conversation. This, is, <laughs> this isn't this is your best work. But that of all the things that he was like, yes, this is my vision. When I have total artistic control, this is what I'm going to create. It's like, I just want the world to know I'm geeking out on this computer right now.
0: Yeah. I liked what you said you were talking about the tweets that you sent out the day that he passed. I mm. actually read every pretty much everything that day much later sure. because I was just overwhelmed but yeah, yeah. um, I really liked what you said about how he was innovative with technology in the same way that he was with his music that yeah. it's just all part of his he was just a very curious, kind of restless mm-hmm. mind and the more I think about, you know, from the Lynn drum machine up yes. to Twitter, like, that is absolutely yeah. true, that he was always just looking for ways to take advantage of the technology and integrate it into what he was trying to do, and yeah. it was part of his art.
1: It's a straight line. Uh, if you go back to when he was working with Chris Moon at Moon Moonsound, they had an automated recording council, and it was one of the first in the Twin Cities, and so he's learning cutting edge technology so that he can produce everything himself and have control. Yeah. When he's a teenager in yeah. high school, right? And that, that sort of stays through as the through line of, like, this is going to help me be self-sufficient. This is going to help me not get exploited like black artists usually do. This is going to help me have control. And, of course, this is going to help me follow my muse. You know, these are all of a piece for him. And, and then the Lin drum, he has one of the first ones, and he's an early adopter. And part of it was, um, at a technical level, the Lynn drum – so before that, drum machines were generally a digital device that had analog samples. They were playing a recording mm. of a drum sound. And the Linn actually was a digital capture of the sound, so you could distort it. And this is why, you know, in 1999, when I cry, whatever, it sounds different than any drums before because Prince was programming a computer, you know, and yeah. he was able to do that and he taught himself to do that and he taught himself to do it first because he was an early adopter of the hardware Yeah. and he had this device first. And we see this where, like, Instagram is the most popular photo app on iPhones, not because there aren't better photo apps, but because it was first. Like, right. Like, if you're an early adopter and you use the platform well first, you get an advantage. Just as Stevie Wonder had the first Clavinet C keyboard and, you know, Jimi Hendrix had to work with Robert Mayer to invent the pedals that were his signature sound. Mm -hmm. Like when you hear those notes on Superstition, it's Stevie being an early adopter of hardware. And Prince was the same thing through the Lindrum, through the Oberheim synth, uh, you know, in 1999 and so many songs and albums um, through the Fairlight sequencer. So when you say, you know, July 15th, 86 is a Sunday and Prince sits down and records and writes Sign of the Times all in one day. Some of that is about this is the mood I'm in and the moment I'm in. And some of it is like, I have this new piece of hardware and it can make sounds that nobody's heard before. Yeah. And I want the world to hear that thing that's in my head that nobody's heard before. And then, you know, if the goal is I want to change the sound of pop music by by 1990, by the time the Graffiti Bridge comes out and he's like sitting at that Mac, it's done. It's, it, it's inarguably done. Everything sounds like Prince. Yeah. Right? From the moment he sets out in 1980... The moment he sort of steps back in 1990, everything goes from sounding like anything else to sounding like him. Right. So he turns the course. And then at that point, of course, the only other question is, well, what can I do with my sort of magical superpowers of, of expression and and performance and technology now? And then the only other goal as ambitious as sort of as worthy of that kind of genius is, well – What if I can actually get free? What if I can Mm. actually control my art? Because so many had tried. You know, Aretha Franklin started a record label back in the 70s. Yeah. You know, George Clinton had 15 different names of artists that he was trying to put acts out, you know, music under, so he could put it out on the market. Like, people were hacking at this for a long time, but, you know, the labels were never going to let them do it. And... You had to play a really long game you know it took 20 years basically from the start of the battle till when prince actually owns his masters right and it took mastering all of these technologies and every single one whether it was cd-roms or the internet you know to do digital downloads in 96 there was a full page explanation on the dawn.com on the website saying here like you can buy things on the internet this concept exists. You will have to type your credit card in. Here's why that's not a terrible idea. Yeah, You know, it was a really long, like today you're just like, this form's secure and there's a little form you type in your credit card number. But it was like introducing the idea of what we call e-commerce because people didn't know it existed. And that, I mean, it was that far ahead. In 97, to do a crowdfunded album and say, when we get 100,000 orders, we'll ship it, you know, is the Kickstarter model exactly, but 20 years earlier. And, and so exactly that, like, it shipped late, there were production problems, and fans got, <laughs> you know, really angry about it, exactly as they do today on right. Kickstarter, you know? it's like, <laughs> note for note, like, you predicted the future. And, like, now, if you're like, oh, I ordered this album on Kickstarter, but it shipped really late, and it ended up in the record store before I could buy it from the artist, you'd be like, yeah, that's what happens. But back then, it was like, how dare he? You know, <laughs> like, everybody was like, I'm shocked. Um, and it was great. And, you know, he actually, he would send, he, he sent out thank yous, like, apology those were also not really well-managed, but, like, he included the Truth album with it because it shipped late. And then some fans, if their orders were screwed up, he sent them the lore, that sort of 45-minute-long song that he had done on CD as a thank you. So, like, these, like, kind of makeup gifts. Hmm. And it's because, as his, you know, web folks told me later, like, he saw the responses. He read Prince.org, the fan site, um, later on, when Questlove um, uh, and, and a lot of the, the Roots crew launched OK Player, Prince was on there all the time. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, he was lurking. I don't think he was posting, but like he was, he knew what people were saying and he responded to it. And, you know, there were so many bits of proof, one of which was the, the song My Computer on Emancipation, where, you know, what open, he does it with Kate Bush, it's a great song. It opens with the welcome. You've got mail. It's got the AOL sound at the beginning, and uh, and the hook right at the top of the song is it was Sunday night. So i doing what I usually do. I scanned my computer looking for a site somebody to talk to, funny and bright. And he said straight up, on Sunday nights I go into a chat on AOL. Aww. You know, it wasn't it wasn't subtle, and we were just like that. That's us. He's talking about us. <laughs> I think he means us. And you know, you didn't even want to believe it because it was like it was so crazy. Yeah, and I was like maybe it's some other Sunday. You know, like maybe some other AOL. Like it was like. And you know, and the song ends like goodbye. The AOL well, sign off, <laughs> and it was uh, it was stunning. And there were so many examples. He had a um, in, mostly instrumental collection uh, during the NPG Music Club era called C Note, and it was um, songs from different cities he'd been to: so it was, um, Copenhagen, Nagoya. Uh, I'm not going to get them all off that Osaka, Tokyo, and then the last song was Empty Room. So C Note, C N O T E, uh. um, but what had been the biggest conversation amongst fans at the time, the music clubs, music club cost a hundred dollars a year. And they're like, I'm not getting anything for my hundred dollars. So I said, here's an album and it's called C note. And it was, you know, this sort of like poke in the eye, like here, take that. And you know, he did it a number of times. He had a song called, I think it was called funk, but it was spelled P F U N K. But the P F U was capitalized because just a few weeks earlier, he'd started suing fan sites that were distributing bootlegs and things. And the fans pushed back and made a site called Prince Fans United, P-F-U. Uh. So he wrote a song called PFUNK, Funk), wow. And he put it out. So there was a dialogue for decades between fans where he was like, no, this is why I'm doing it. Now, granted, he never sat down and said, look, black artists get exploited. That's why I don't trust putting my music up on YouTube because they don't want to, you know, have fair terms for me. So, like, a lot of – I think shy of that, a lot of fans would be like, oh, and everybody else is doing it. You should do it, you yeah. know. Um, but the dialogue was there. And it was – Irrefutable. I mean, there were so many times we tried to say, there's no way a guy of this stature is so reclusive, it actually sees what we're saying and is responding to it. But after the 10th time that it happens, you're just like, he's right there. And yeah. we're not crazy. He's watching us. The thing that jumped out to me, um, uh, there's a woman, Connie Be- Beite, who was in, um, uh, in the AWOL chats back in the day, was a huge fan. When he had the one of the first celebrations, she was here. Um, I couldn't make it. I was broke. I couldn't fly out to any apple I wanted to make it. And um he did Manic Monday and he called her on stage to do it with her as a duet, just as a fan. She got to sing mm. um Manic Monday with him, which I can't even fathom, you know, how that felt. And it was so happy for her. And um and so we stayed in touch and I'd follow her on Twitter. And after he passed, she was reading a book actually by a friend of mine by Corey Doctorow and she tweeted I just and she was not being self conscious about it, but it just stuck with me so much. She just said, "Oh, I miss Prince so much. I wanted to tell him about this book.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted to
1: tell him to read this book." And it was amazing because I was like, "Gosh, me too. I totally get it." And I, I sent the tweet to my friend because he'd written the book. I was like, uh, "Corey, you should see this. A you know, fan of yours really liked the book." And I realized he's going to think that sounds insane.
0: Right. You know what I mean? He's going to think, like, what do you mean?
1: I wish I could have recommended this book to friends. But we totally could take that for granted. for right. For this few dozen, few hundred of us that were around in that community forever that we knew, he knew, that we interacted with him over decades online, it was not at all out of character for him to say to somebody who he'd had on stage, who'd been to Paisley multiple times, to be like, you should check out this book and expect that he might look at it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Um, And that... You know, if anything, I wish that could be clear to people about that was as much a part of his creativity and what he nurtured and wanted to build as, you know, in the later years as the music was. I mean, he spent as much time on it and as much effort on it and and learned about it in a way that um, there are people I know in the tech industry who don't get it that well.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's beautiful. Anil, thank you so much for talking to me. This has been so fascinating. I could just listen to you talk about Prince for hours. (laughs)
1: And same goes for you. I appreciate the chance to get to do it. I mean, these stories obviously mean a lot to me, but I I think there's so much incredible legacy that you're preserving that um, is so much broader than just, you know, that was a song I played at my wedding, which that happens too, and it matters, but that um, what this man and all the people he worked with meant to culture and to changing you know, business practices to changing the norms around how we see art and artists, um, I think it can't be overstated.
0: Yeah. I think we share an interest in bringing out the humanity of prints, too. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you.